0: you're listening to houston we have a podcast where we talk everything and anything movies and their reviews and this is episode eight hey everybody show here welcome to houston we have a podcast if this is your first time listening then thanks for coming Houston We Have a Podcast is produced every two weeks for your enjoyment, and show notes can be found at HoustonWeHaveAPodcast.libsyn, which is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite feed or on iTunes, and you can follow me on Twitter at S-N-S-A-L-L-I. That's Ally. The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... As you might have guessed, this next part does have something to do a little bit with the Academy Awards. The Oscars, as we all call them. And it's not really news. It's not news. This is just a a piece I wanted to talk about. So to to give some context, I went to go see Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's going to be one of the movies I review on this very episode. But I went to go see it with a friend of mine from school. And he likes movies. I I, I take that back. He loves movies, just as I do. And whenever I get together with him, we love to talk about movies in depth, the things we like, the things we don't like, TV shows as well, but mostly movies. And he brought up something to me that I had really not considered, and I thought it was a great topic for the podcast. Leonardo DiCaprio won an Oscar for The Revenant, and when he won, he got a standing ovation. And why is that? It's be- And it's because Leo, as everyone calls him, had been perceived to have been wronged by the academy you know that he is such a good actor that he deserved to win one and i'm of the opinion that he did not deserve it for the revenant but it was kind of one of those he won for the body of his work instead of a one particular movie because frankly i mean if he he wasn't even the best performance in that movie much less in the whole year in the, in the best actor field i certainly don't think i would have given it to michael fassbender and steve jobs but Whatever, I'm not a member of the Academy, so I can't vote. But all that aside, Leonardo DiCaprio won an Oscar for The Revenant, and everyone was very happy. And I think up until that point, if you had asked someone, if you had asked me, certainly, who deserves an Oscar who has never won one? I think for a lot of people, the first actor that jumps to mind is Leonardo DiCaprio, right? And Well, you can't say that anymore because he has one now. So my friend's question to me was, now that Leo has won, who is the next actor who deserves an Oscar for maybe their body of work, but has never won because they've gone up against better performances or they've gone up against, maybe they just got snubbed one year, right? So he, I'll I'll let you know his choice. He immediately went with Jake Gyllenhaal. And I had a hard time saying that he was wrong. I mean, there's no way I can say he was wrong. It's all your opinion, of course, but I had, even just thinking about it, I had a hard time disagreeing with him because Jake Gyllenhaal, I think I think a part of it, too, is simply the fact that Leo not only did not win for years he was nominated, there are some years he wasn't even nominated for performances that were amazing, right? And I think the same thing stands with Gyllenhaal. You know, that was that one year, of course, I think that is very easy to point out that he was not, wasn't even nominated for Nightcrawler. I think that was in 2015, I want to say. I could be wrong, however, but uh, you know, he plays kind of an unhinged, like paparazzi journo, I guess. And it was a brilliantly dark movie. Such a good performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. And if you had asked me after, like, before the nominations came out, after the movie was out in theaters and everyone had seen it, if you had asked me who I thought would win an Oscar that year, I would have said Jake Gyllenhaal. And he wasn't even nominated. So I could see, I could totally see that. But it got me thinking other than Jake Gyllenhaal, who else deserves an Oscar who has never won one? And I came I came up with a short little list here. I'm not going to justify every single one, because otherwise I could go on forever, as I'm sure most of us could, right? But, you know, I, I thought of uh, Annette Benning. She's been nominated a number of times and has never won. I think she could be pretty awesome. You know? There's, uh, oh, Donald Sutherland. Now... He is getting one of those honorary Oscars at a separate ceremony. I think he already got it or maybe it was announced and he will be getting it. Anyways, it's happening this year and they'll probably do one of those things like they did for Jackie Chan last year where they, oh yeah, look, there's Donald Sutherland up in the up in the bla, up in the the rafters, you know, he's awesome. There's his Oscar that he didn't win for acting, you know, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. Donald Sutherland is amazing, a Canadian film legend and a legend in general, really. But he never He's never won one for for something for a role he's been nominated for at the ceremony itself, right? And I think that's pretty cool that he's getting one, uh, one of those honorary ones, but at the same time, you know, he hasn't really won an Oscar. He's being awarded one, but it's not quite the same thing. Other actors, you know, Peter O'Toole probably deserved one. He, I think he was nominated for Lawrence of Arabia, you know. Unfortunately, I don't think that'll be remedied anytime soon, considering he is no longer among the living as much as he deserved one. You know, I think some other ones that come to mind immediately. Johnny Depp. I know a lot of people are are a little split on him, especially recently because of the things that have kind of surfaced about his personal life, about how he allegedly beat Amber Heard, etc. You know, he kind of phones it in the new Pirates of the Caribbean movies, even though he was nominated for uh, Captain Jack Sparrow in the very first one, Curse of the Black Pearl. But, you know, he's given some pretty good performances. Black Mass was a pretty good recent performance. Ian McKellen is also someone who jumps to mind. I think he... I, I, I struggle to think of a single movie which he would deserve for, which I think is probably why he has not won. But in terms of his body of work, he is someone I could see getting one of those honorary Oscars at some point in his lifetime, which probably is not that much longer, as much as I hate to say it, because he's, he's just absolutely amazing in everything he does, you know? Michelle Pfeiffer, I could also see, although people have been saying that Mother, as, as divisive as it is, and we talked about that on this very episode, but Pfeiffer could get a nomination at the very least for Mother. I mean, I, again, I haven't seen the kind of list, the field, I should say, of contenders for Best Actress in a Sporting Role this year, but Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, pretty big mainstay, giving a tremendous performance, apparently, in Mother. Maybe she could win. Wouldn't be surprising. Sylvester Stallone got nominated last year. I mean, he didn't win, but he was pretty close. And the last person I would say probably is Tom Cruise. You know, say what you want about the guy, and maybe the Scientology thing will hold him back, because the Academy does take those kind of things into, into consideration sometimes. Sometimes they really don't. Tom Cruise is just the rare actor who I feel elevates every movie he's in. Not every actor does that. Even the great actors, not they don't do that for every movie. Whereas I would say movies like The Mummy, which we reviewed on the podcast, is which was terrible, was... Only not the worst movie I've ever seen because it had Tom Cruise in it and he was entertaining to watch. and As usual, he was running away from things and running towards things. But yeah, he, he was great. He was, maybe not great, but he was interesting in that movie to watch. He's entertaining, maybe. Is it the right word? You know, he was, he, he made oblivion from a pile of absolute garbage into something that I was at least remotely interested in finishing instead of just falling asleep at my computer desk. You know, it was on Netflix. Yeah, stuff like that. That's, but I mean that that is certainly not Oscar worthy on its own. That's for sure. I mean, I don't think he's done a a movie like Rain Man or Jerry Maguire in some time, in terms of you know where he really gets to show off his acting chops. He's really he's just really entertaining. I mean, Harrison Ford might be another one, but at the same time, that that's kind of it. You know, he's very entertaining, but he's not exactly all up in there in the Oscar nods bit. I would say, anyways. I don't want to go too much on about this. I still want to get to the reviews and we've already been talking for a while. So let's leave it at that. But think about it, think about it and let me know because that's such an interesting topic in terms of who deserves an Oscar. And you know, you could even go even further if you're a sports fan. I know I mentioned sports occasionally on the podcast it has nothing to do with sports, but you know, which, a- which athlete deserves a-, a championship ring that they never got one. Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter. I mean, I'm biased because I'm a Raptors fan, you know, um, uh, Steve Nash, right? Anyways, something to think about. Let me know. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You to... want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So I'm sitting at work with my coworkers, George and Tom. We're waiting for the night to be over. And I was slipping through the channels, and what comes on but a few good men? One of my favorite movies, awesome fantastic film and if you don't like a few good men screw you because it's awesome and i love it and everyone should love it forever always all the time forever okay yes maybe that's a bit of strong take but it got me thinking about movies in general when it comes over on tv if you're just surfing Channels on a Saturday night, you have nothing else to do, or maybe you got home from work late, and you're exhausted, but you don't want to go to bed just quite yet. You just want to veg out whatever the situation might be. What is that one movie for you that you always will watch when it's on t v? Everyone has something, and i I know it might take you a little while to think of it for me, it's a few good men I'll be honest, it's a few good men. that movie is awesome. I love watching it. It doesn't matter at what point in the movie it is. I will watch it and I'll enjoy it. And that's why I put in the, you can't handle the truth because it's an awesome movie and that's just one of the many good parts in it. But I was interested to hear some other takes. So I asked George and Tom and I asked some of my other coworkers and this is what we came up with. These are some of the most popular ones I found, at least around my workplace, so amongst my friends, my parents, etc. My dad, for example, he really likes The Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Caviezel and Richard Harris. Came out in the nineties, I believe. And that movie is a lot of fun, although I, I can't quite get behind that one. I mean, of course, no one's wrong, certainly. Everyone's just saying their favorite. But the reason I can't get behind that one, even though it is an awesome movie and also in my top favorite movies, is because that movie is so damn long. I think it's almost three hours. So if you start that movie, if, if you just happen to cross it on TV right near the beginning, you're in, you're going to be sitting there for almost three hours. That's, that's a lot of time, honestly. But you know what? Jim Caviezel's awesome in it. Richard Harris is awesome. Everyone is great. Guy Pierce, you know, it's a fantastic movie. A young Henry Cavill, you know, before pretty, well pretty Man of Steel, definitely. Before he was jacked as all hell, you know. But you know what? Count of Monte Cristo, really good one. George's pick was The Shawshank Redemption. Now, that one I cannot argue with. The movie is so inspiring. You know, you always feel... So, like so awesome after you finished watching it with the amazing tones of Morgan Freeman. No, that was I don't know why I, I did kind of a weird British accent there. He's not obviously British <laughs> whatsoever. But the Shawshank Redemption, awesome movie. That's one of those ones I think I would actually sit through on TV. If I actually, if I had to skip a few good men, a few good men is definitely my pick. But if I had to go for a second one, it would probably actually be a Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. You know, Rufus Sowell. It's such a, it's such an amazing. Amazingly fun movie, you know, with the Queen references, and we get a lot of other kind of actors that are now really famous in the movie. Uh, it's just, that's that's a really crowd-pleasing kind of movie, and I've watched that with my parents, especially my dad, many, many, many times. That's a movie I think we both share in terms of our love for movies. A Night's Tale with Heath Ledger. You know, another one I would I would probably go with is Independence Day. That that was actually a pretty popular one that my coworkers came up with, and, and kind of along the same lines because it was directed by Roland Emmerich as well. The day after tomorrow, Independence Day, the day after tomorrow, 2012. I think the other one was. My coworkers seemed to really like their uh, disaster porn movies, but you know, if I personally had to pick one uh, in terms of being the quote unquote best out of all of those, Independence Day for sure. There's nothing like watching New York. And L.A. and San Francisco and you know the White House and stuff being blown to smithereens by blue alien light ship things. You know, it's just a lot of awesome. Plus, I mean, there's so many great Will Smith lines. You know, like "Welcome to Arf!" and then he punches the guy, the alien in the face. Or you know, "I I ain't hurt no fat lady," and then Jeff Goldblum says, "You're obsessed with fat ladies, right?" So uh, maybe maybe the fact that I know all those lines is is referencing the fact that I watched the movie way too damn much, but awesome movie love it if you haven't seen it i actually went on a date with a girl who actually said she had never seen independence day that actually shocked me to my core i was shocked frankly i did not know there was anyone in my general age range who had not seen independence day that that was quite shocking to me i think my goal is i'm seeing her tomorrow maybe the goal is we will eventually watch independence day because that movie is awesome and my okay i'll pick one last one that was a few there Uh, 310 to human. I'm not talking about the John Wayne version, but the new one with Christian Bale and Russell Crowe, you know, fantastic movie. I said fantastic a lot, haven't I? Maybe I should pick a different adjective, but it's a great, great film. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's better than the original but it's wildly entertaining, directed by James Mangold and Russell Crowe. Ben Foster, I think, is my favorite actor in that whole movie, not in terms of overall acting stuff, but his character in that movie is just— he is crazy. He is a crazy, psychopathic person who almost seems like he's in love with Russell Crowe's character. And you know what? You can read it any way you want, and it's still a wildly entertaining movie. So good. Honorable mention to The Dark Knight, though. Christopher Nolan, you know, another Christian Bale movie. Maybe that's what made me think of it, but— Still awesome. But you know what? Those are, those are some movies that I personally will probably always watch on TV. A Few Good Men, The Shawshank Redemption, Count of Monte Cristo, Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, 310 to Yuma, you know, The Dark Knight. Are some, those are some real great movies. And if you haven't seen any of them, I totally recommend you go and watch some of them. But if I had to pick just two, A Few Good Men and The Shawshank Redemption are some movies that I feel like most people should see in their lifetimes because they're just that good. Please go see them if you have not already. Okay, let's get to the reviews. I spent a lot of time on the news, the fun segments. I think we'll keep we'll keep doing that. I think we're going to spend about half the episode every time talking about some, you know, movie-related segments, you know, movies on TV, Oscars, that kind of thing. I've I gotten a lot of interesting feedback on the Rotten Tomatoes explanation we had in the very first episode of the show. So another thing that's become relatively popular is the cinema scores, and with the recent release of Darren Aronofsky's movie Mother... The the idea of cinema scores have become a little more popular, so next episode we're definitely gonna talk about that. But for now, we'll get into the movie reviews. So we have two movies to talk about today: Kingsman the Golden Circle, and Lego Ninjago, both of which are interesting in their own ways. They both have flaws, certainly. They're not perfect. I mean, no movies really are other than Star Wars, of course. But we'll start with Matthew Vaughn's sequel to his movie Kingsman The Secret Service. So this is Kingsman the Golden Circle. <laughs> Pretty ladies around the world Got a weird thing to show you So tell all the boys and girls Tell your brother, your sister, and your mommy too Cause they're about to go down And you know just what to do Come on, Wave your hands in the As my friends will tell you, I'm not the world's biggest country fan you know, Johnny Cash is pretty much as far as I go, but in terms of modern country, I'm not a huge fan of it, but when I heard this song in the movie, and this is this exact song is actually on the soundtrack for the film, and it plays at one of the kind of climactic moments towards the end of the film, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I actually came down to this song or an Elton John song, and Elton John has a major role in this film, but... It was, it was down to those two things, and I went with this one because it was a little more meaningful. It sounded a little more upbeat. It was a little more fun, right? I, I thought it was a pretty fun thing. Not to say Elton John is not, but anyways, it was a, it was a great choice of, of music for this movie. It follows up on the whole Freebird thing. We'll get a little more into that. I'm kind of all over the place to start, but the soundtrack is great. Kingsman the Golden Circle. Stars Taron Egerton, Mark Strong, Colin Firth, Jeff Bridges, Halle Berry, Channing Tatum, Pedro Pascal, Julianne Moore. You know, pretty much an A-list cast. It's a pretty good cast, I think, and all of them are very entertaining in their own ways. They all have been in some really cool movies over the years. And I'll start by saying I really liked The Golden Circle. I did. I had a good time. I went to the movies to be entertained, and I was. So by that mark, I consider it a successful trip to the theaters. I was had a good time with my friend, and we both laughed about it. There are some really awesome moments in terms of action and adventure and quips and cool things that go down and that's what i I personally want from the Kingsmen movies, but I've read and I've heard from other people and even from my friend that one of the largest criticisms of this movie is that bigger is not always better, which is fair it's it's a one hundred percent valid criticism. The first one, the Secret Service, was definitely tighter it was more focused it had a better villain probably but i would say that and i, and I will say with regards to the villain it's kind of hard to top samuel l jackson's valentine you know he was a an interesting kind of subversion of your typical bond villain as this as this whole movie is really it's a kind of a send-up of the james bond movie franchises i guess right and a send-up, a satire, a spoof, you know? And that there's nothing wrong with that, certainly, and I think it accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do, right? Julianne Moore, since we're talking with the villain, is kind of a parody of a 50s, 60s-obsessed, kind of Martha Stewart-esque housewife, but underneath that kind of veneer of housewife-iness, she is a ruthless leader of an international drug cartel and threatens the whole world and is extremely competent. So, I mean... Obviously, it's an aesthetic kind of comedy slash visual choice, and it was pretty cool, actually, to see all of the things that she had created in her kind of secret island lair, again, very much in the Bond trope. We're all 50s, 60s theme, kind of I love Lucy kind of stuff. That was really cool, I thought. It was very, very, very different from the kind of tech billionaire that Samuel L. Jackson's character was in the first one. But, hey, you know what? Two very different things accomplish the same kind of entertainment value, I thought, I'll say this though, a large part of Kingsman: The Golden Circle, a large part of it is expectations, and by that I mean the first movie was a pleasant surprise. I went to see that movie without any expectations for it at all. I didn't really know many of many of the people inside of it, other than Colin Firth and Mark Strong, really. I didn't know who Taron Egerton was really at the time. I knew Mark Hamill was in it, and that was I, I admittedly was a draw for me. I didn't know how big his part was, but you know you don't get to see him in very many movies these days. So I went to go see it, and it blew me away. It was fun. It was funny, action-packed. I mentioned that Freebird scene. You know, everything about it was awesome. I cannot complain. It's one of the mo- my most favorite action movies I've seen in the theaters in the last six, seven years, I would probably say, for me personally, certainly. And so after the excellent first outing in pretty much every way, right? And then after we saw the amazing trailer for the second one, that had the My Way song by Frank Sinatra, also excellently cut, got me hyped. You know, it it used the the ending kind of note of My Way with Frank Sinatra in a perfect way to show you all the characters. a little snippets of them. So awesome, right? And expectations were sharply increased. And I think, honestly, that's a huge part of why ratings and, well, not ratings, but reviews are generally a little down on the second one. And I do, and I do. Like I said, I do think the original was better in general. But the comparison is something like if, if we go back to Rotten Tomatoes, the comparison is something like in the eighties, seventies, eighties to like a fifty percent for the second one. And I don't really understand. Although I think it's just because everyone expected this movie to be good. You hoped this movie was good, and at least as far as I'm consider- concerned, it was generally pretty good, which is fine. But it didn't blow anyone away, right? There were more action sequences, there was more noise, there was more women taking their clothes off, there was more explosions and jokes and more suits and guns. There were more kind of tropes that they tried to subvert. Not all of them certainly were successful, but yeah, and and, and I admit there were some dumb decisions admittedly made in this movie, and I would think the chief one for me, the chief one, is the character Roxy. So if you don't remember, in the first movie, Roxy was essentially the one that won the Kingsman training she became Lancelot at the end of the first movie and Tarrant Egerton Eggsy our main character did not he kind of washed out of the training after he refused to kill the dog as you learn it's you know as a part of your training but he did not become Lancelot which was a slot being filled and then the thing happens with Colin Firth and at the end of the movie both Tarrant Egerton and Roxy they're both you know, She is Lancelot. He is now Galahad, the former spot held by Colin Firth, right? And it, it makes it seem like Roxy is going to be a huge part of the movies going forward. That's what you expect. That's what it's set up to be. That's what's implied. So what happens, of course, in the first 15 minutes of Kingsman the Golden Circle? Roxy is killed off. And honestly, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I will admit, not just because roxy was really attractive certainly absolutely not the only reason she was a really cool character she overcomes fears in the first one she was a fully realized character that they just throw away they throw away her, her character for no reason and in addition to that you kind of think in the first movie that she was going to be kind of his love interest they, they turn that on its head and Taryn egerton ends up staying with the princess he rescues at the end of the movie and doesn't end up hooking up with Roxy. So Roxy becomes his kind of best friend, and she helps him out, and he helps her out, and so on and so forth. But, And then she just dies in the first 15 minutes of this movie? I And I don't think that's a spoiler, because all of her scenes in the movie are in the trailer. All of them are in the trailer, and then that's it. Boom. Over. She's done. Now, I will say this. In a movie that explains away way someone being shot in the face at point-blank range... And of course, Colin Firth was in all the trailers to the second one, so that's obviously not a spoiler. But in a movie that does that, they could very easily bring her back. They can explain if they can explain that away is what I'm saying. They can explain anything away, right? So they could bring her her back if they really want to. And there obviously is going to be a sequel based on this, how this one ended. Though I hope they just don't bring her back as a villain. I think that'd be that'd be cheap. That'd be dumb. I don't think so. I have a theory of how, that, how they'll bring her back. I don't want to say it here because I feel like that'll be a little spoilery, but suffice to say that they could bring her back in kind of an Oracle and Batman type of way, right? But anyways, that's a speculation. Who knows? She might very well just be straight up dead and they won't bring her back at all. Who knows, right? I'll say this. The music in the film is fantastic. I mentioned that already. A lot of Elton John hits like Saturday, uh, Saturday is All Right or whatever that whatever that song is called. A lot of Elton John stuff. Elton, Sir Elton himself is in this movie for a surprisingly large amount. Though there's one particular sequence towards the end of the movie where he does this kind of flying kick across the stage and winks at the audience through the fourth wall. I could have done without that. Though maybe I'm in the minority there because some of the audience members really like that. I don't know. I just thought that that was, I think, an example of bigger is not always better, right? Because they had some celebrities in the first movie. They made reference to like Obama. They had all these other, you know. People in the movie and nothing wrong with that at all but I definitely kind of thought that was a little much and I can, I think that's kind of emblematic of the biggest problems of the movie is that they just thought everything was better everything was more bigger et cetera, and it's not necessarily the case but you know what that's definitely a bit of a nitpick there were some good callbacks to the first movie I don't know if you guys remember but the manners maketh man scene that kind of introduces us to Colin Firth where he just kicks ass they kind of redo that scene but with Pedro Pascal, who is just phenomenal, he is just phenomenal in that role, in this movie as Agent Whiskey, you know, because we basically from the trailers we get to see the American cousins of the Kingsmen, the Statesmen, and whereas all the Kingsmen have kind of the Knights of the Round Table names to them, the Statesmen all have uh, alcohols so there's whiskey, tequila, etc. Right? And Agent Whiskey, Pedro Pascal, pretty cool, honestly. He 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 was really fun. He has a whip, you know, a lasso. They do some really interesting things with him, and he might honestly be the real standout of the movie. Colin Firth does the Colin Firth stuff. Taron Egerton, Mark Strong—they all do their thing, but he was my favorite character personally. If I had to pick just one, I will say though the first movie had that incredible Freebird scene. I keep coming back to it, right? And everyone knows what you're talking about when you talk when you mentioned the Freebird scene in, in the church, right? And. They definitely wanted to outdo themselves. You'll know when you see it, and I don't want to spoil it, and it's accompanied by that Elton John song, Saturday Night's Alright, and it, it is just a blast to watch. It is so much fun to watch, because they really they just go all out, and I think that one scene is one of the few moments in the film where you, where you kind of think to yourself, okay, they go bigger, they go badder, doesn't necessarily mean it's better, but... In those in that moment, I didn't think about that at all. All I was thinking about was how much fun this is, how much ass these guys are kicking. And it comes on the heels of a relatively sad moment. We say we say some goodbyes to some some uh Original characters that had been in the first one and I'm not going to spoil who certainly but it was a, I admit I was a little I was a little melancholy and then they just followed up with this kick ass action sequence and I'll say this the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie, the whole climax of that film is just amazing to watch the gadgets, the goodbyes to these certain characters, the fights, the music it all works in sync and it makes it just a real treat to take in the rest of the movie is certainly really fun too and it starts off with a massive car chase in the first probably 30 seconds of the movie and it does not let up from there. But those last bits, to me, are by far and away the best parts of the movie. And of course it's a climax, so you you kinda assume they're saving the best for last, but still awesome. And to some of the other auxiliary characters, channing Tatum, they advertise, Jeff Bridges, but they're both probably in the movie for about 15 minutes. They set up Tatum to have a much larger role in the third and Halle Berry as well. But Halle Berry was in the movie more than Channing Tatum and Jeff Bridges combined, probably. And she's really great in it. She's probably going to be in the next one as well. You know, given like I mentioned, given the departures of certain characters, they could totally bring Ro- Roxy back and have it make sense. But I've learned not to expect too much from studios when it comes to decisions about characters that are either female or people of color or both. Unfortunately, however, having said that, not to politicize this review a little too much, but having said that, the Kingsman movies are so. So fun. They're so raucously entertaining at the theaters that it's easy to overlook those flaws, even if they are a bit glaring. But if I had to sum up this whole review into kind of one concise sentence, it would just simply be to overlook the flaws of them trying to do too much and trying to make it too much of a good thing, I guess for lack of a better term. It's easy to overlook that because the highs are so high even if the lows are a little low, you know. But it's it's still stupidly entertaining. And if you're going to the movies to watch a send up of a Bond movie, if you're going to just have a good time, Kingsman: The Golden Circle is for you. If you're an action movie fan, if you're a spy movie fan, if you're a fan of any of those kind of genres, you should watch this movie because it's just a good time. You know, I'm not looking to dissect something like three billboards like we did in the last movie. This movie is just a lot of fun. And if you like having fun at the movies, you should go see Kingsman the Golden Circle. Sucko movie franchise, to me, is one of the more interesting ones in cinema right now because, yes, first and foremost, they are animated movies for children. There's no getting around that. That is what they are. So it's hard to really criticize it too much because at the end of the day, it does what it sets out to do, entertains children. There were a lot of kids in the theater when I went to go see it, and they all had a great time. So... If I could end the movie review right now, I would say that this movie did exactly what it set out to do. It entertains children, it has some gags for adults, and that's it. That's exactly what they set out to do. Now, of course, it wouldn't be much of a review if I just ended it there. It's only been about 30 seconds. But I'll say this. I can't mention this movie without talking about the other two movies in the franchise, the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. Now, they're very interesting because they, they have their own ideas their own kind of motifs morals for lack of a better term behind them and things that you should be taking away from it as a child and as an adult and i think that's what made the first two so very popular was not they weren't just funny they weren't just operating on gags that made you laugh because you as a child play with lego and maybe your own child or your own cousins or nephews or what have you they play with lego now lego was pretty timeless i think right and I think that's kind of the message behind the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. But there was something a little missing from Lego Ninjago. It was it was kind of weird, you know. But we'll we'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit. Lego Ninjago stars Dave Franco, Justin Theroux, Olivia Munn, Jackie Chan, Kumail Nanjiani, you know, Fred Armisen. There are a lot of really famous actors, as there usually are in voice animated children movies. You know, started by Aladdin with Robin Williams, of course, as we mentioned before. But These are the actors that kind of make up the cast of Lego Ninjago. So to explain the music choice for for a little bit, you might be wondering why I picked a song from Annie. Hard Knock Life is actually in this movie. It's kind of weird. The music idea comes from Jackie Chan's character, who plays the flute a lot of the time. And one of the songs, I think the very first song he plays on his flute, is an instrumental version of Hard Knock Life. And I'm kind of listening to it, and I kind of thought to myself, oh, that's kind of fun. And then in case you didn't get it, they ram it down your throat by actually playing the actual song from Annie right afterwards. which kind of ruined it a little bit. But then again, like I mentioned, it's a a movie for kids. Maybe they won't get it. I did think that was one of the jokes they could have maybe had been a little more subtle with because adults will get it, and kids will find this song catchy, but it's not like, what kids are watching Annie? That movie came out like, like 100 years ago, and even if you watched the movie with, you know, like Black Annie, for lack of a better term, with Jamie Fox, I mean, it wasn't very good. Anyways, I digress. We're not talking about Annie, we're talking about Lego Ninjago, but I, it was just kind of weird that they kind of play it, people laugh, and then they explain it afterwards. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of dumb. Anyways, this movie is kind of getting panned, because... They definitely catered to the lowest common denominator with this one, as opposed to the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. Not that those other two are the pinnacles of modern cinema. Certainly not. But they worked because they had specific morals behind them, as I mentioned. Right? The, the first one, the idea behind it was all about being the best version of yourself. Being that person of yourself is what makes you you. And around that idea, they worked in a lot of jokes that worked for both adults, and for little kids, right? The Batman version worked because they did add as well, but it was also chock full of references to every version of Batman from Adam West all the way to Batman Beyond. And if you were a kid, an adult, a Batman fan, a Lego fan, you were going to enjoy that movie, you know? And, you know, it it, it has one of my favorite lines in any of the animated movies I've seen in recent memory. Here, I'm going to play it just really quickly for you right now. My name's Richard Grayson, but all the kids in the orphanage call me dick. Well, children can be cruel. I still think that line is one of the funniest things in the whole movie, because they really portray Bruce and Batman as a kind of borderline narcissistic psychopath almost. You know, he's just, he, he's kind of crazy in this movie. And they, I guess, I mean, of course, I'm a self-professed Batman fan, as a lot of people in my age group are, and they make reference to the animated series, like I mentioned, Batman Beyond, you know, all sorts of things. And it was really cool. But... In the Lego Ninjago movie, they add a lot of dumb visual effects. They take the real world idea and they cross it with the animation, and that they just go to the next level, you know. They really embrace the idea of memes, and they amp it up, you know. Like they have a lot of weird, like monkey sound effects mixed with like martial art things, and all this kind of dumb crap, you know. And then they make up a whole bunch of weird fake martial art movies to like old. Chinese and Japanese and Korean martial arts movies. And they just kind of dub over them with some silly titles, like the one where the guy punches another guy really hard in the face. And then he gets karate chopped. Like it was just really dumb. I thought it was really silly, but you know what? Again, I feel bad for saying that because the kids sitting behind me, they loved it. They thought it was hilarious. They were laughing. They were crying with laughter. I should say, not like being sad, but they were, they were just loving it. So, you know, it clearly worked. Know your audience, I guess, you know, and the people who made this movie clearly did. But I was kind of annoyed because it almost seemed like they took a lot of the, and I don't want to call the other movies sophisticated, but they took a lot of the other adult jokes out and just replaced them with this this dumb crap, you know? And then I think that's what kind of upset me a little bit, or at least annoyed me. Maybe I shouldn't say upset because at the end of the day, I kind of walked out of the theater and thought to myself, oh, okay, well, I guess I saw that on a cheap day, so can't be too mad, I guess. So that's the worst I can say about this movie is that it was forgettable, but... I don't know. I was a little annoyed at the end of the day because they just seemed to kind of phone it in. And I'll say this about that, about the idea of phoning it in, I should say. A lot of the voice actors, I think, did phone it in. And I don't blame them. It's a children's movie. Maybe it's harder to give a performance when you're just kind of voicing these little toys, I suppose. But then again, you know, I've heard a lot of Disney movies and people didn't phone it in. I don't know. I don't want to compare it to Disney movies because they're obviously better. But if I had to pick a standout from the voice cast, it would be Justin Theroux as the film's villain, Garmadon, who's also the main character Lloyd's his father. And he's often incredibly incredibly funny. I've never really watched or heard Justin Through in a lot of things. I'm pretty sure the only thing I really know about him is that he's I think he's married to Jennifer Aniston and that he's in that show The Leftovers, which apparently is kind of similar to Lost, which I love. So, yeah, I, I but you know, I don't really know a lot about Justin Through. I don't even know how he became famous. Like I I always thought he was famous for being married to Jennifer Aniston if that even is the case, but regardless he is so funny in this movie and, it, and it, it does help that he is given the best lines to chew on you know he talks about one of the things he's so desperately searching for in life is right here in front of him in the city of ninjago all along and lloyd who is voiced by dave franco is is saying oh my gosh you know what you left me when i was a child like it what? Go on. What are you looking for? And then Justin Theroux says, "Oh man, you know when I was in college, there was this guy who made the best Chinese food he's ever had. And where is he? I haven't seen him in years." It's just those kind of gags. You kind of you you get set up for one thing, and they go with another wing. And it's not exactly uncommon. They do that in comedy stuff all the time. But I I don't know. He was clearly the standout for me in a movie where all the other characters are immensely forgettable. I think. And I dare say that Lloyd and Garmadon are essentially Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And they even kind of have uh, joined me and together we will rule the galaxy's father and son moment towards the end, which of course Lloyd refuses. But it was kind of funny that they made that kind of Star Wars connection, which, of course, I had to point out as a Star Wars fan. But OK, I've bagged on this movie a lot and I think it deserves it. not going to take it back, but they did do a few things that I really liked. And here's the first one, and it's it's a really silly thing to like, but they they did something that I really liked, and it's as a self-professed cat dad. You know, I have a cat, and I love him, and he's the best thing ever, and my cat's better than all the cats that exist, of course. But we find out that there is an ultimate weapon. So Lloyd and the rest of the Ninjago crew go and steal the ultimate weapon and against jackie chan the master against his wishes and lloyd uses it to defeat garmadon his father at the kind of towards the beginning of the movie and similar to the super glue that we see in the lego movie the ultimate weapon quote-unquote is a laser pointer and of course it doesn't actually do anything um but of course since i mentioned cats And because this entire movie is really a tale being told by the real life Jackie Chan to a young boy in this "quote unquote" real world, you know we actually see real actors, not animated. And the movie is kind of bookended by this young boy who, playing with his Lego, gets beat up by a young by his his classmates, I guess, and he kind of takes refuge in the shop. Jackie Chan is the kind of mystical karate kid type master. And he tells the story to kind of cheer the boy up about the Ninjago people and the master and Lloyd and how he learns and all this stuff, right? So that's kind of how the show is bookended, or the movie is bookended, rather. And there's the shop. The shop that Jackie Chan works in has a cat, right? So because this whole movie is essentially a story being told by Jackie Chan, you essentially learn that the laser pointer in the story is actually a tool to summon the ancient enemy Meowthra. The shop's cat. So the cat chases a laser pointer all over the city, as cats do, and wrecks the Lego set that essentially comprises the city of Ninjago. And honestly, it's pretty entertaining. The cat's incredibly cute. You know, the conflict actually gets resolved at the end because the town people eventually just forgive everyone, and they eventually adopt Meowthra as a town mascot, which was hilariously in tune with the movie's general ridiculousness. And of course, I loved it because I'm a cat person, and it was really entertaining. I, I just kind of was thinking during the filming of that of those pieces that it, it, I wonder. I mean, this guy was obviously very well trained, and it just made me think how funny it was for them to basically film. Someone taking a laser pointer and pointing it on Lego sets just to watch this cat swat the crap out of them and destroy it. That's essentially what the cat was doing, right? And then, you know, they leave the city, they come back to the city, and this cat is just kind of purring and rolling around and squishing people. And they're all kind of like, oh, please, God, no, no, not Meowthra, when this cat is just doing what cats do, you know, just being cute and, you know, purring and wanting attention and whatnot. I just thought, I thought it was funny. My friends who have cats and who have pets in general probably will get it. I, I, it was just very entertaining, and that was definitely the high point for me of the film. And, and you know, I'll say this again, not again, because I, I have bagged on it a little bit. One of the main positives of this movie is that at its core, it has still a genuinely heartwarming idea in in the morals and the general basis of this movie, similar to the other two, right? So, if the Lego movie was, you know, be the best person that can that you can be, because that's all anyone can do. And if Lego Batman was, don't be afraid to open yourself up to others because they can truly help you through tough times, and I think that one actually tackled the idea of depression and whatnot, Lego Ninjago's, to me at least, about the idea that the relationships between parents and their children, and of course that specifically a father and son, and of course between mother and, and son and mother and child as well, I say son because the main character was a man, but of course it's not limited to just males, certainly, but those relationships between parents and their children or the lack of relationships are something that shapes you and helps mold you as a person in life for better or for worse, right? So if your parents were absentee, if you didn't have parents, if you're an orphan, if you grew up somewhere else, if you had guardians or if you did have a very loving relationship with your parents or if they were or if they were there and they were not loving and they were abusive, whatever your relationship between your parents, the people that birthed you and you, right, those inform the kind of person that you are. And Lego Ninjago tackles that in a very interesting, if roundabout way, I think. I think it also maybe tackles the idea of divorce, as the main character's parents aren't together. And even though they give it a shot towards the end of the movie, kind of after the climax, and the kind of of wrap-up part of the movie, they seem to be giving it a shot as a family. Though I think that part's a little more up to interpretation than perhaps the other ideas of relationships between parents and their children. But you know what? That's okay. The rest of the idea sits there. The relationships idea is really the core of the movie. And I think they, they really succeed with their morals. They're not They don't hide them. They're not subtle about them. And they can be entertaining, even if Ninjago falls a little flatter than the other two. It's still entertaining. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, ultimately, right? Ultimately, when you're seeing this film, it's a children's movie, and it's just more of a children's movie than the other two are. And you know what? Like I said about those kids who really like the meme bits, right? If they're review of the movie was to be taken seriously, in that they were laughing and having a really good time with their dad. I think they were two boys. And I don't know if the dad knew that what the movie was about going into it, other than it was just Lego figures come to life doing crazy stuff. You know what? Then that's all the movie needed to do. It needed to entertain those two kids. The dad seemed relatively entertained, and I feel like he probably got a little more out of it than me since he had two young children. And... That's all you can ask for, I suppose. Expectations have to be tempered. And I don't wanna kill it too much because at the end of the day, it's a children's movie that was actually relatively entertaining. It does not hit the highs of the other one. It does not gonna it's not gonna reinvent animated movies, you know, it's not a Disney movie, it's not even a DreamWorks movie, really. The the animation was really cool, although it's not any different than it was in the Lego movie and Lego Batman movie. So I mean, even that's not very new. It's just more of the same. I think there will be another Lego movie. I mean, they clearly make a lot of money and they're clearly very popular among children. And Lego, like I mentioned, is a timeless product, so anyone can go see this movie. And certainly there are people of all ages in the cinema when I went to go see it, so hey... Who am I to complain about it? But I'll say this, if you are looking for an animated movie to go watch with your significant other or whatever, I would say maybe give this one a pass. Maybe wait for this one to come out on DVD or come to Netflix or something, because it's still worth watching with your kids if you have any, but I don't know if it's worth paying the you know $10 a person to go see it in the theater. I would I would have said that for the first two movies. I would not say it for this one, but you know, not all movies can be winners, but hey, Lego is awesome. Movies about Lego are awesome, but... You know what, maybe give this one uh, a, a soft pass. Not a hard pass, but a soft pass. The idea of expectations and how those expectations are met and fulfilled or not in certain cases were kind of some of the reasons behind why I picked these two movies specifically. I mean, I also wanted to see them, certainly. That's kind of the first and foremost reason for picking them. But the reason I paired them in this particular episode was because of expectations. And I kind of talked about that a little bit in both reviews in terms of the expectations of Kingsman being so high because the first one was so good. And similarly with Ninjago, the first two Lego movies were so good, which basically dragged me to the cinema on its own. I didn't actually care too much about the Ninjago property. I mean, I did care about Batman, for example, when they did that one, but I'm not familiar with the Ninjago thing. I know it's a TV show. I didn't really care about the voice actors really all that much, but I enjoyed the first two Lego movies so much that I felt that this one could have been good. And I would say both the Golden Circle and Ninjago did not exactly fulfill those lofty expectations. I would say the Golden Circle, you know what, I would say the Golden Circle fulfilled it adequately. It it met it at like 80%, whereas Ninjago very much failed my expectations, right? So... You know what? That's, those are the dangers of seeing movies. At the end of the day, I saw it was entertained. There were laughs to be had in both movies. I'm probably going to go see Kingsman, The Golden Circle again. My brother and sister really want to go see it, and they have not They have not gotten a chance to do so yet, so I think I'll go see it with them, because I like going to see movies more than once in the theaters. It's not exactly, you know, it, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on coffee or on booze or on anything else, so my kind of vice, for lack of a better term, is going to the theater. So, hey, there are worse things to do, as my parents would say, might as well spend some time with my brother and sister. You know, I'm eight years older than my brother. I'm 10 years older than my sister. And they finally reached that age where I feel like I can treat them like human beings. Not that I treated them poorly. Wow, that came out super wrong. That came out horribly wrong. I treat I my brother and sister very well, and I love them. But you know what? I'm just I'm just that much older than them. So only until recently did they kind of start showing interest that I could, you know— Cultivate with them and that I could spend time with them and talk about them with, you know, books and movies and music and video games and, you know, that kind of thing, pop culture and stuff. My brother really likes Game of Thrones, for example. My sister really likes movies, for example, right? So, hey, just wanted to, you know, qualify what I said with a little bit of a statement there. I don't want people to think I'm a horrible older brother. I love them very much. But anyways, movies to look forward to. Blade Runner 2049. Good to see it with a friend of mine who I haven't hung out with quite some time. And she and I had actually gone to see Blade Runner together. I'd already seen it, but she had never seen it. So it came to Toronto and it played at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, uh, you know, a few months ago, I think, early in the year. And I went to go see it with her and she really enjoyed it. I think it actually it was last year now that I think about it. Wow, like, this was a long time ago now that I'm really thinking about it. It's pretty crazy, actually. But anyways the new one's coming out and I'm hearing some really good things about it Denis Villeneuve Canadian director Ryan Gosling Canadian actor Harrison Ford my favorite actor not Canadian though unfortunately for him but hey no one's perfect right and, you know, there's some other movies coming out. I might go see Mother. I'm undecided as to what the second movie will do will be. I'm, like I said, maybe Mother because it's very divisive. And I also want to talk about the, the cinema score ratings and, you know, what makes Mother so divisive. Apparently it's an allegory for the Bible and for, you know, Mother Nature and all this kind of thing. So, hey, we'll see what I decide on. It might not be Mother. It might very well be something else. Well, well, we'll see, but I will say this for sure. Blade Runner 2049, definitely going to see that movie. Looks awesome, and I've seen all of Vilna's other movies so far, so I can't not see Blade Runner 2049. That's it for me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the rants on clandestine secret agents and toys that come to life via stories, because I sure enjoyed talking about them with you. You've been listening to Houston. We have a podcast. This has been Episode 8. Good night.